Hey, we are, uh, we're in a series uh, going through Ecclesiastes, a book in the Bible, in the Old uh, Testament, and it's a book that uh, we've been looking at for the last uh, six weeks, I think, or seven weeks, and talking about the various frustrations we have in life and the various uh, longings we have in life for something more. And that language or that feeling you've, you've probably experienced in your life, that longing for something more in life. And, and that's a longing that we often feel when we are going through difficulty, when we're going through suffering. We, we can feel that longing in all sorts of areas, but I think especially when you're going through something rough in life, when you're going through something difficult and, and, and something like that, that, that question and that uh, emotion and that desire starts to kind of bubble up. Is there something? more than this. And so we may feel this a lot because we suffer a lot and we go through difficulty a lot. Something that is a, the, the great equalizer for all of us is that we are going to suffer, that we're going to go through difficulty. There hasn't been a person that has lived that has said, man, my, my life is just pretty much good all the time. Uh, and if you have said that, then you are lying and the people around you are suffering from knowing you. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a little mean, but it's true. Um, we all go through difficult stuff. I mean, that can be a variety of things. I mean, that, that can be that you have lost a job and, and there's financial difficulty that comes with that. That can be that you are in a job and there's suffering that comes with that. A lot of times people have difficult bosses or difficult coworkers, and you're just kind of stuck in that. You can't really get out because how how else are you going to make the money that you need to make? And so there's difficulty that can come from work kind of situations. There's difficulty that comes with various relationships we have in family and friends. Maybe you've had friends that have betrayed you or turned their back on you when you needed them. Maybe there's loss that you've experienced, people that you've loved that have passed away, or people that you love that you've lost them, not in the sense that uh, they passed away, but you moved, and, and now you don't have that relationship anymore. And so there's suffering that comes from relationships, and there's suffering that comes from our past and things that have happened with parents or other experiences that we've had and suffering that happens in our present. And, and there's, there's a lot of times suffering or difficulty kind of broken up into categories of situations that we just find ourselves in, situations that kind of happen to us, but there's also suffering that happens actively in people sinning against us, doing something to us. So not necessarily just a, a situation we find ourselves in, but people that are sinning against us. And there's also suffering that is just, maybe it's not some big event or big thing you point to and say, man, this is what's made my life difficult, or this is what's causing suffering, but it, it can be just a a general feeling of life not being what you wanted it to be. Maybe your friendships aren't what you wanted them to be, and your job, you're kind of just stuck, and it's not what you thought it would be. And life just is maybe a, a general sense of discontent in some ways, of this isn't what I was hoping for in life. This isn't what I was hoping for out of life. And just a undercurrent of, man, life is just not what I hoped it would be. And so we all go through suffering, difficulty. I, I know, even as I'm talking about this, this isn't an abstract, theoretical thing. Like, you are real people, I think, most of you, but you're real people in, a, in this room that are going through stuff. And that some of you right now, this may be the hardest season of your life that you've ever faced. Or maybe you just came out of something that was very difficult or uh, suffering that was very hard. Or maybe you have friends right now that are going through stuff and that burdens you and that weighs on you. And 
I know that I'm, this isn't just an abstract thing. You are real people in this room that are going through stuff in life. And we talk about the, the longing for something more. And often we feel that when life is difficult. Often we feel that when there's suffering in our lives. And, and I know that here, right now, today, that some of you are going through stuff. Or maybe you will go through stuff soon. We all suffer and will suffer and have suffered. And it's not just, here's the thing about suffering too, it's not just the suffering itself, whatever that might be. But there's a suffering of suffering, meaning that suffering, when you are going through something difficult, creates its own kind of sense of suffering in the middle of that because there's questions that happen of why is this happening to me? So you don't just have the thing, but then the emotional experience in the thing of why is this happening to me? Or maybe a guilt of, why do I even feel bad about this? Other people have it way worse than I have it. And we, we don't even, we actually feel guilty that we feel like we're suffering because of all the other problems in the world. Or we feel lonely in the middle of our suffering that no one understands what I'm going through or no one understands me. Or, or we can feel confusion. Why is this happening? I don't understand why my life keeps going bad. Or a despair of, is this kind of just always going to be what it's going to be? That there's suffering, and then there's the suffering of suffering, which compounds it and makes it even worse. And, and here's another thing. We're not prepared for suffering. I mean, most of us, when suffering happens in our life, it catches us by surprise, and it's not something we have prepared for, especially in America, Right? In America, our whole society is built on minimizing as much pain as possible. You don't want any pain in our life and maximizing as much comfort as possible. You think about all the different things we have in our lives of anything that might cause you any sort of trouble. And we as a culture have, and I'm not saying this is sin or wrong, it's just the reality that we want to minimize as much pain as possible and maximize as much comfort, as much ease as possible. You don't even have to pick your own shows. Netflix tells you, we recommend this show for you. Great, you know, and, and things like, you know, I'm going to the airport later today. I don't have to walk. I just stand on something and it moves me. And that's beautiful. I wish I could have that always. Someone needs to invent, and one of you engineers needs to invent shoes that just do that. Um, I don't know why someone hasn't thought of that. I guess it's kind of those little roller skate shoes, but um, we, we live in this culture, but I don't see adults wearing those, but um, we live in a culture where the pain is as much minimized as possible and the comfort and the convenience is as much maximized as possible and where we believe, man, if I try hard and if I do the right thing and if I work hard, life will go good for me. That, that's the culture we live in, which then means when we're trying to minimize pain, we're trying to maximize comfort, and we believe that if we just kind of put our effort into it, stuff goes well. When it doesn't, we're not prepared for that. We're not prepared for suffering, especially in American culture. Suffering and difficulty and trial for American culture especially is so hard. It's so difficult because we just don't think, even though we've gone through it, that life is supposed to be like that or, or will be like that. And some people say, well, that's okay. Suffering is going to come our way. Difficulty is going to come our way. But what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or some people say, you know, different phrases, no pain, no gain. Pain is weakness leaving the body. But that's not always true, is it? I mean, it's not always true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or that there's no pain. There's no, that's not always true that I mean, we go through tough stuff and that just makes us 
better and stronger. That's not always true. You know that for your own life or even friends that you've had, that suffering can come to people and they say, man, I'm done with God. I didn't make them stronger. That made them leave the faith. Or people that suffering comes their way and it doesn't make them stronger. It actually leaves them wounded and guarded and, and they don't let people in anymore and they don't trust people anymore. Or suffering comes their way and, and they, they, they find it very difficult to, to endure anything anymore because of the hopelessness and despair that comes in. I mean, suffering doesn't just automatically make you stronger. That's kind of a a myth that we believe often that, man, suffering comes my way and that happens, it's okay, because sometimes people say, like, man, whatever happened to me in my life, I wouldn't change any of it. No regrets. And that might sound nice on a tattoo or something, but it, it, in real life, that's not true. I mean, there's all the suffering in my life I would trade. Yeah, it's made me stronger, sure. Yeah, it's done, but I would get rid of all of it if I could. And so... We can believe, man, stuff makes me stronger and stuff, it, it makes me more resilient and it's just the weakness leaving me. And maybe that can be true, but it's not automatically true. Sure, you've had suffering in your life that's made you stronger, but, but you've known people or you've experienced where suffering actually deeply hurts you. And it's actually made your life worse. And it's actually left you really wounded and hard to recover. So it's not automatically true. But here's, here's the thing, we don't want suffering, difficulty in our life to crush us. We don't want it to be the case that that leaves us in this place of now I am deeply wounded forever. We don't want that to be the case. We don't want suffering to come into our life and kill us and crush us. We don't want that to happen. But if it doesn't automatically make it stronger, if it doesn't automatically make you more resilient, if it doesn't automatically do that, then we have to know how do we use it when it does come our way? See, we're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through difficulty. You're going to have friends that do. You are going to. You have. You are, maybe, and you will. That's going to happen. And it won't automatically make you more strong, make you more resilient. That, that won't automatically happen. You have to know how to use it in order for that to happen. And so how do we use suffering? What, what if you could face suffering? What if you could face difficulty knowing this is going to be hard? It doesn't take away the, the, the difficulty of it. Knowing this is going to be hard. But what if you could face it knowing it's going to be hard, but knowing I, I will thrive through this. I will make it through this. This will allow my life to grow and mature. What if you could face it knowing that would happen? And in order for that to happen, we have to know how to use suffering. And so as we talk about this today, my hope is that for some of you that are going through this right now, this will help you in what you're going through. I mean, for some of you, maybe it's not helping you right now. Maybe it is helping you, equipping you, preparing you for suffering when it comes, because suffering always catches us by surprise. Nobody says, on Tuesday, I'm going to suffer. I mean, maybe you do if you have a person you're going to see on Tuesday that you don't like or something. But, so I guess it's possible. But, but most of the time, suffering catches us by surprise. And so I hope today that this can help us if you're going through something right now or equip you, prepare you for what may happen. As we look at this chapter, he's going to help us see what happens if we don't. What will happen in our life if, if we don't know how to suffer? 
What will happen in our life if we don't know how to use suffering? And he'll help us understand what will happen if we do and how we can actually do that. So I'm going to read uh, this whole section that we're looking at, and it's, uh, it's a poem for most of it, so it's not super linear, but we'll uh, kind of tie it all together. And here, here's how it goes. Ecclesiastes 6, 10 through seven fourteen. So this is kind of the intro. He says, Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it's known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And the intro is kind of basically saying this, that, man, life is difficult, and you can't really argue with one stronger than you. We find ourselves in this situation where it doesn't matter how many words you say. It doesn't matter kind of what argument you try to have. It's difficult. You, you can't escape it. Uh, and it's going to keep happening like he's talked about. Whatever has come to be has already been, and it's known what man is. He's not able to dispute. It's saying, look, you're going to find yourself in this. can't argue your way out of it. You can't. It's just what it is. And who knows what is good then while we live the few days of life that pass away like shadows. Who knows what, what can be good, what good can there be in the middle of difficulty that we can't argue ourselves out of, that we can't strong our way out of. And he says this, A good name is better than precious ointment or perfume, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So, oh, this is, something is wrong with our slides here, guys. Um, Let's go to this question, and if you can figure out up there somehow how to put that verse that we just looked at at the end, that would be awesome. Um, Here's the first question. Why must we know how to suffer? Why must we know how to suffer? So we're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through difficulty. That is going to happen. And it doesn't automatically make you stronger. It doesn't automatically make your life more resilient. And and so you have to know how in order for that to happen. But what will happen if we don't? Why do we have to know how to suffer? What what are the dangers we have to watch out for? And, and he says this. 
He says, first of all, that one of the dangers is anger. He says that, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. See, one of the dangers, one of the reasons that you need to know how to suffer is because one of the things that can happen to us when we go through suffering is we start to get angry. We start to get angry and that anger leads to bitterness. The anger gets inside of us. It lodges inside of us. It lives inside of us. This anger comes and it's anger at different levels. You may be angry at the people that are causing your suffering. You may be angry at people that have done something to you, that have treated you unjustly in some way. And there's anger. And we may even say, man, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm I'm moving on. But is that really true? Because maybe there's even friends that have done something and there's an anger that has now lodged in your heart. And you say, man, everything is good. Everything's fine. But the relationship is not the same anymore. Because it's living inside of you. It's lodged inside of you. Or there may be people in your past, parents or other folks in your past that have done something and you say, I've moved on. But it comes out. The lack of forgiveness and the lack of trust and the lack of ability to let others in, it's still there. It's lodged inside. So we can be angry about the people that have done stuff to us or or we can be angry at God. What happens when we go through adversity, he says, look, don't be angry because anger lives, it lodges in the heart of fools and we can be angry at God. You go through suffering and go, God, why, why did you do this to me? God, why are you holding out on me when, when I've done this and I, I've been good and I've gone to church or I've loved you or I've kind of held up my end of the bargain and, and, and there's an anger that gets produced towards God. And that usually gets expressed in just a feeling of coldness to God. Just so, man, I don't, I just kind of feel distant with God. Or we can even be angry in the middle of suffering towards those that are trying to help us. You have friends in your life and community in your life that as you go through suffering, they try to come around you in some way and be present in some way. But we can be angry towards them of, man, you're not doing it the way you're supposed to do it. You're saying things that aren't the right things to say. And we, man, we do, right? It doesn't mean you're wrong. We say all sorts of stupid things when other people are suffering. But we can be angry towards those people and go, man, why aren't you helping me in the right way? Why aren't you serving me in the right way? Why aren't you helping me and loving me the way you loved that person? Why, why are you not reading my mind and giving me the things that I need right now? Can't you see that I need this or I need that? And he says, one of the things that happens in the middle of suffering is this, that you have to watch out for. Anger lodges in your heart. It lodges there. Think about that language. It lodges. It lives. It dwells. I mean, so many things happen to us and we push it down, right? You go through suffering. You go through difficulty. And we think we're moving on, but really we're just shoving something deeper in. We're shoving it down such that now it resides there. It lives there. There was this, I read in the news, uh, uh, thankfully I only thought about this about 30 minutes ago, and so I didn't have a picture of this, but uh, there was a woman I read about a couple weeks ago that uh, was feeling this itching sensation in her face. Maybe some of you read about this. 
It's freaky, okay? So she feels this itching sensation in her face, and she goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you're fine. And she goes to another doctor, and the doctor's like, you're fine. She goes to another doctor, and she's like, my face is, feels like something's crawling. And this doctor finally is like, yeah, exactly. That's why there's not a picture, okay? So goes to the doctor, and a cockroach had... <laughs> had, this is true, no joke, okay, cockroach had climbed through her nose when she was sleeping and was up here, lodged in there. And they couldn't, they were trying to get it out, but it was clinging on. <laughs> oh gosh, you guys are hilarious. Uh, my wife would have killed me if I would have had a photo of this, okay. So next week's sermon would have been on marriage issues, okay? It got lodged in there, and it wouldn't move. And what happens when something gets lodged in there, when it gets stuck in there, is it affects everything else. Because you know what they said? That if they hadn't gotten it out, it would have died, and then it would have started poisoning her brain, and she would have died. Not because it would have like eaten her brain, not because of that, but you can imagine that, but not because of that, but because its death would have affected everything inside of her. If you've ever had any, maybe you had a piece of glass stuck in you before, you've had a sliver stuck, and it can get infected, right? Because when something gets lodged in there, when it gets stuck in there, when we get angry about the suffering, about the difficulty that we're experiencing, and it gets lodged in there. We shove it down, and it lives in there, and it resides in there, and it's stuck. It's not that it's buried. It's not gone. It starts to poison and affect everything else around it. So if you have had some difficulty, suffering in your life, and and you've thought you've moved on, but really you've lodged it deeper, you've shoved it deeper, it starts to affect everything around you. It affects your relationships. It affects your walking with God. It affects all sorts of stuff. And, and you can think about that also in terms of roots. Roots are another great illustration of that. That a seed gets lodged into the ground, right? A seed gets lodged in there and it gets buried and it gets covered. And then the roots begin to grow. And I remember my wife and I last year, we were um, on vacation in Venice Beach and walking the sidewalks, if any of you have been there or in LA or there's other places like this too, but the roots are lodged deep. The seeds at one point are lodged deep and the roots are growing and affecting. This is what the sidewalks look like, no joke. That The the roots have gotten so big and, and maybe at some point someone thought they'd been dealt with because they're buried. And we can put cement on top of it and we can cover it up. But eventually it comes out. Because if something is lodged deep enough in there, it comes out. It affects everything around it. And he says this, look, you're going to go through adversity. You can't argue with it. You can't, we, this is just our condition. You can't get around it. You can't escape it. This is what it is. And he says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Because anger lodges in the heart of fools. So maybe you've gone through difficulty. And you know what? One of the reasons you have to know how to suffer is if you don't, it gets lodged inside of there. It begins to affect the relationships around you. It begins to affect your thinking about God. It begins to affect everything. And the second thing he says is this. Here's why you have to know how to suffer. Because otherwise, you will miss out on the present. 
if you don't know how to suffer, if you don't know how to go through difficulty, you can miss out on the present. Because often when we're going through difficulty, often when we're going through suffering, what do we do? We look to the past and go, man, weren't the good old days better than this? Man, why, why, can't, the, why, why can't I have the former days again, he says. Why were the former days so much better than this? You see, when you're going through difficulty, one of the dangers is you miss the present because you're looking at the past. And a lot of times we, we romanticize it. It's not, we, 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 we color in our mind how great it was when really it wasn't that great. People do this with Christianity. They look at today and go, oh my gosh, it's so horrible. The, the, the state of Christianity, America today, and we're so persecuted. And so why can't we have the old days of Christianity back? When we were persecuted and eaten by lions, why can't we get the good old days back? Because today we can't say Merry Christmas and it's awful. You know, we, we, we romanticize or Americans do the same thing. Like, why can't we get to the good old days in America? We've got to go back to the good old days when we had slaves and when women couldn't vote. And let's go back to the good old days. A little too close on that one for some of you. Okay, sorry. Um, but that's what, that's what we do. We look to the good old days and think it's better than it really is. We do that in our own life. I mean, we as a culture right now, I mean, it's, it's funny and it's cute, but we're obsessed with nostalgia, right? You know, I think it's Nokia. They just came out with a flip phone again, and it's like selling like hotcakes. It's like, oh, the flip phone. It's so awesome. The good old days. I mean, it's just we're obsessed with nostalgia right now as a culture. BuzzFeed's built an entire business on that, you know? It's just like, look at these 20 clothes from the 90s, you know, whatever. Look at the, I mean, everything is, it's like, oh, the good old days. And see, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through difficulty, one of the tendencies we can have is to go, man, the good old days were better. And what ends up happening is we miss the present. We think about how the friends we had back here were better, so we don't develop relationships now. We think about how uh, life with God back then, maybe in college or your first church experience, or it was better, and so we miss out on being faithful with God right now. We think about, we think about how our jobs back then were better, and so we miss out on actually working hard in our job right now. We think about how life was easier before we had kids, and so we miss out on life with our kids right now. We think about how life was so much easier before we got married, and we miss out on enjoying life married now. I mean, all sorts of, however you want to think about it, one of the things that suffering does to us, or can do to us, is cause us to miss out on the present, because we're thinking about the past. We're thinking about the good old days, and then blind to the present, what we have right here in this moment. So why must we know how to suffer? Why must we, whoa, it disappeared when I did that. Why must we know how to suffer? Why must we know how to suffer? Because if we don't, anger can lodge in our heart and we can miss out on the present of what we actually have here. But you know this, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that whatever difficulty you go through, whatever suffering that you go through, it doesn't have to be the case that it causes bitterness to grow in you. It doesn't have to be the case that you miss the present. It doesn't have to be that way. It can help us, in fact. And this is what people are getting at when they say that it it can make you stronger. It's not automatic, but it can. In fact, we need it. 
And so how can suffering help us? How can suffering help us? And he gives us a couple ways here. First is this. It wakes us up. See, when you go through suffering, it causes you to wake up. When you go through suffering, it causes you to begin to wake up and see life for what it actually is. You know, last week, and if you weren't here, that's okay, but, but last week we, we talked about how God gives us various pleasures, various joys, and various things, and go, man, this is awesome. God is so good that he would give us food and drink and friends and, and all the different things that Solomon told us. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's a kind of life that we can center on those things. We can center on laughter and feasting and pleasure and and nature and all the beautiful things that we enjoy. We can center our lives on those things and ignore reality. We can center our lives on all of the pleasures and all of the fun and all, I mean, especially in a place like Denver where there is so much awesome stuff here. It can be easy to center our life around pleasure and ignore reality, ignore the sins that we have in our life that are not being dealt with. Ignore the various relationship problems that we have because we don't want to think about those things. Ignore the, the sense of urgency of God's calling on our life. Ignore the various priorities we have. Ignore God himself. Ignore all sorts of stuff and live in a dream world that's just centered on pleasure. But what does suffering do? Suffering sobers you. What do people say a lot of times when they go through something difficult? They say something like, man, it was a sobering experience. Man, that was sobering. What does that mean? It means often we are living our lives drunk. We're living our lives asleep. We're living our lives in this drunken state of life is not really how it is. And suffering can be the finger down the throat that causes you to wake up. Suffering can be the great buzzkill that says, wake up. This is reality. This is what life really is. See, look, last week I was preaching on pleasure and joy and God's good gifts, and I had a great week. It was awesome. Got to go hiking. Got to go eat good food. Had brunch at Sloan's Lake uh, Tappenberger. We were the only people in there, which was a little awkward, but it was also great. You know, it's easy to get a booth. They're new. They just opened up. So um, we got like a coupon, buy one, get one free. So it's great. It was great. So I got save money. I got a, I didn't really save money. That's how they trick you is saying, you're saving money by buying this. But it was a great weekend. It was a great week. I, I mean, I had a blast last week. It was awesome. And then Last week, my, my dad called me and said, hey, and we've known this for a while, and some of you have known this, that, that he said, hey, your grandpa's probably got a couple months to live. And, and I'm really close with my grandpa, and we've had great conversations and trying to help him know who Jesus is, and I've gone out there and stayed with him multiple times, and so really close with my grandpa. And so I, I scheduled to, to fly out there, I scheduled to fly out and see my grandpa on, uh, on uh, Tuesday morning. Supposed to leave to go to the airport, wake up at 6 a.m. This, this last uh, Tuesday, okay? So this week. And then Monday, my dad texts me and says, hey, he's probably got a few hours. And I was like, man. And so tonight, um, tonight I'm flying out to go do my grandpa's funeral because I didn't make it. 
He died on. Died on Tuesday. And this is where I'll be tomorrow. It's here, at this cemetery. And you know what he says? He says, look, feasting's great. He says, happiness is great. And pleasure is great. And enjoying good gifts that God gives to us is great. But he says that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, we don't normally think like that, right? This weekend, if your friends were like, hey, what do you guys want to do? No one's like, let's go to the house of mourning. That would be kind of cool. Let's, anyone want to go? Any cemeteries doing like happy hour tonight? Or, you know, nobody thought that, right? But what he says is it's better. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. He, he says it's better to go here than what I did last weekend. You know why? Because last, last, last week was great for me. Man, it was awesome. I loved it. And this week's been hard, but I'm thinking about things. I'm thinking about life, and I'm thinking about priorities, and I'm thinking about urgency, and I'm thinking about relationships, and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about reality. I'm thinking about life as it really is. And he says, the wise will lay it to heart. He says, look, there's a lot of suffering that's going to happen in your life. There's a lot of adversity that's going to happen in your life. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen to you. But here's one of the ways it can serve you. It can wake you up. Everybody knows this. This is why even when some national tragedy or something happens, they say, hey, go grab your kids, hug them, you know, call those you love. Because they say, look, when suffering happens, it can have the effect of waking you up. Going, whoa, wait, wait a minute. There's other stuff I got to think about. Maybe, maybe my life is not, and maybe I'm centered on pleasure in a way I shouldn't be. Maybe I'm ignoring issues I have. Maybe, maybe I should focus on God more. Maybe I should get my priorities in line. Maybe I should think about my family. Maybe I should, and, and it wakes you up. And he says, it's better to go to the cemetery than to the feast. It's better to go to the house of mourning. Because we think about life as it is. It, it wakes us up. And secondly, just kind of woven all throughout this passage of, of how suffering can help us, is that it makes us wise. It makes us wise. See, there's areas of foolishness in all of our lives. There's areas of folly and ways that we do things and think about things and the way we act. And there's areas of foolishness in our lives that no amount of reading and studying and nutrition, and yoga, and blogs about 30 things to do in your 30s, and no amount of that is going to change. You see, there's areas of foolishness in each of our lives that it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, how many Bible verses you read, how many whatever, there's areas of foolishness in your life that will only be rooted out through suffering, that will only be rooted out through pain. And see, one of the things that suffering can do to help us is makes us, it makes us wise. It makes us wise. Why? Because it exposes us. See, you may think that life is good. You may think, man, I'm a pretty good person. You may think, man, I, I love God and me and God, we're good. You may think, man, my, my relationships, are, we're actually pretty close. We're actually pretty tight. You may think, man, my marriage is strong. And the way I relate to my kids is great. 
You may even think, man, I'm spiritually mature and, and, and sort of look down on other people that aren't. Man, I, I'm spiritually mature and kind of look down on people that are younger than you in the faith or younger than you in age and kind of go, man, I, I got it. And what suffering does is it comes and exposes you. Because when you suffer, what's really in you comes out of you. When you suffer, what's really there comes out. And we like to say when we suffer and stuff comes out, well, that's not really me, or that's not really the kind of person I am, or I don't know how that happened. Or, I don't. No, that is the kind of person you are. Suffering pushes it out. Suffering squeezes you and shows what's in there. And it's painful, but it has the effect, it can have the effect, of taking the foolishness out of you. See, suffering can make us wise because there's areas of foolishness that we live in, areas of life that we may think that we're good. We may think that we're loving. We may think that we're kind. We may think that we're patient. We may think all sorts of great stuff about ourselves. But suffering will show. He talks about people that, he says that, uh, he says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I love that verse. Because you know what he's saying there? Better is an end of a thing than its beginning. He's saying this, a lot of times we, we start off really strong. We say, here we go. I'm going for it. And we know this. Obviously, it's March now. And you know we've already blown all our New Year's resolutions, right? Sorry to remind you. <clears throat> He says, it, it's, it's, the end is better than the beginning. The end is better than the beginning because a lot of times we start off strong and I'm wise and I'm great and I'm following God. And, I'm, and he says, suffering will cause you to see the areas of foolishness. That's why it's better to go to the house in the morning. That's why it's better to have a sad face. That's why it's better to, I mean, all those different things he says, the point in all of them is this. Suffering will show you where you're foolish, which is a great help. See, and, and I'm not going to get too deep into this, but a lot of times people wonder, why does God allow suffering? That's a big question. It's, it's probably the most common question that people have about God. If, you, if you're not a Christian, this may be something that you have wrestled with and wonder about and, and go, I, man, this is actually a barrier to me even believing that God could be there. As I look at the suffering in my life or the suffering in the world and how could a good God allow suffering? And I'm not going to answer that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get into it. But can't you, can't you see at least some of the benefits that maybe, and like I said, you know, I can't dive super deep into this topic, but, but can't we see at least some of the benefits that God may be up to? What if we really are living in a dream world and need to be woken up? What if there really is a lot of foolishness in us that only suffering can root out? I know that doesn't answer every question, and it's a good question. It's an understandable question to wonder why God allows stuff, but, but can't we at least see some of the some of the outline of what would make sense of God's work in our life to allow these things. See, here, here's the truth. Suffering can hurt us deeply. It can cause us to grow in bitterness, and it can cause us to miss out on the present, but it can also help us. It can make us see life as it is. It can make us, it can make us wise and not live in the middle of foolishness. It can do that, but it's not automatic. We have to know 
how to use it. If it can go either way, we have to know how to use it. So this is our final question. How do we use suffering to be helpful to us? If it can go either way, if it can really hurt you and create bitterness and anger and missing the present, or it can cause you to, to actually thrive and flourish and, and be able to be wise about life and, and be able to really see life as it is, how do we use suffering to be helpful to us? How do you use the suffering you're going through right now to actually be helpful to you? And I'll give you two ways. One is this, and there's all sorts of stuff we could say about this, but here's two. One is that we have to seek community. We have to seek community. We can't do it by ourselves. He, he talks throughout this passage about kind of the company that we find ourselves in, of either the house of mourning or the house of feasting, and those aren't isolated activities. But then more specifically, he says, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. And, and he's saying, look, in the middle of suffering, we, can ha- we all have people in our lives. But you need wise people in your life. You need wise people in your life. If you want to handle adversity, if you want to handle difficulty, if you want to handle suffering, you can't do it by yourself. By yourself, we're fools. By yourself, we, we miss it. By yourself, we grow bitter. By yourself, we miss the present. We need people in our lives, whether that is to rebuke us, as he specifically points out, or as other places throughout the Bible point out, to help us bear our burdens, to help us in the middle of our struggles, that the very first thing, if we want to use suffering to be helpful, is we can't do it by ourselves. We have to have other people in our life. We need other people. That's how we were designed. And here's what this means. We have to seek that out. We can't, we can't expect that I'm going through suffering. Look, not, I mean, some of you did because you're in my community group and we talked about it, but, but the rest of you, you didn't know that my grandpa died. And I can't just expect that you're going to go, hey, Caleb, I, I, it looks like you need some flowers. You know, I don't want flowers anyway. But it, I can't expect that, that you're just going to do that, right? Because when we suffer, usually we are the ones that are first to know about it. And we can't expect that other people are just going to see it and go, hey, I'm going to be there for you. That when we're suffering, we have got, we've got to be the ones that seek out community. If we want suffering to be useful to us, we've got to be the ones that go to other people and say, I need help. I need you to love me right now. I need you to pray for me right now. I need, your, I need you to serve me right now. I'm going through something difficult. I need you in my life. Now, I'm, look, I'm not saying don't be aware of what's going on in other people's lives and don't be proactive. Do that. But we've got to, we have got to seek out community. And secondly, secondly, most importantly, he ends, he ends kind of this whole passage twice saying, consider the work of God. He says, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Then he says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God. See, first of all, we've got to seek communion. But second of all, if we want to use suffering to be helpful to us, we have to consider God. Now, that sounds simple. That sounds like, hey, pray. And of course, course, yeah, anyone that's ever gone through suffering, okay, I pray. That sounds simple to say, consider God. But is that our tendency? Is our tendency in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of hardship, is our inclination, is our instinct to go, Okay, I got to go to God. It's not. 
we go to other things. We go to trying to figure it out. We go to some sort of escape. We go to TV. We go to alcohol. We go to pornography. We go to whatever other things to go, man, I'm, I'm in the middle of something difficulty. I need to escape this. Our tendency normally isn't, I'm going to go to God because we think we can handle it. We're self-sufficient. You know, God actually talks about this and, 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 and rebukes this to say, do not handle this by yourself. He, he says this, the prophet Hosea says, they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. God says, look, I see that you're suffering. I see that you are wailing, but you won't cry to me from the heart. You'll cry to yourself, you'll cry to your pillow, but you won't cry to me. See, what he tells us is when we are going through adversity, consider God. Consider God. Which may sound simple, but it's not what our inclination is. Our self-sufficiency, our self-focus our self, uh, and, and ability to think, I can take care of this, or I can handle this, or I can grieve it by myself, or, or cry just by myself. And he says, you need to consider God. And by the way, this is not the same thing as saying, God, what are you teaching me right now? It's not the same thing as saying, God, why are you allowing this? Or God, what am I doing wrong? Or, or God, what do you want me to learn from this? That's not what he is saying. It's engaging with him. It's drawing near to him. It's saying, help me. It's thinking of who he is in the middle of where you are. See, the New Testament says the same thing with Jesus. It says this about Jesus in Hebrews 4. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, saying God himself came to the earth. He passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses our sufferings, our difficulties, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Since we have Jesus, since we have this high priest, since we have this person that has shown us God and represented God, since we have that, then with confidence, Here's what you can do. You can go to the throne of grace, meaning God's in control. He's king. He's on the throne, but it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. And you can come and get help that you need. So here's what he's saying about Jesus. Here's what, he, here's what uh, the author of Ecclesiastes didn't have this clear picture. He, he knew we were supposed to consider God. And the author of Hebrews says, with Jesus, man, it's even more clear that when you're in a time of need, when you are experiencing weakness, he says, look to Jesus. He says, look and see Jesus, one that would enter humanity's suffering, one that would experience the full weight that human suffering has, one that would take on flesh and enter into adversity. He says, think of him, consider him, and draw near to him. See, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, suffering is tough, and I know that that's hard, but you'll get through it. Jesus entered into the world's suffering. He entered into our suffering. 
He was willing to take on humanity. That way we could be reconciled to God. On the cross, Jesus experienced the full weight of human suffering. That way we could be brought to God so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have life with him. And he says this, if that's true, if that's the kind of God we have, draw near to him. Consider him in the middle of your suffering. Go to him. See, what would happen if that's how we handled suffering? If we handled suffering by seeking out community, and we handled suffering by going to God and saying, I need you, and knew and thought about who he is and what he's done, what would happen? We wouldn't grow bitter. We wouldn't lodge into our hearts. We wouldn't miss out on the present longing for something in the past. In fact, we would grow and become what God intends us to become. He says wisdom is like money in the sense that it it can add to your life and protect your life, and, and that happens through embracing suffering when we consider God. You and me are going to suffer. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. We're going to suffer. And it can hurt us, crush us, or it can help us. And the way that determines if it hurts us or helps us is knowing how to use it. So, as I end this, and we go into a time of communion and prayer, I just, I, I just want to say this to you. God, here's what you need to know. God cares about you. God knows and sees the difficulty and the suffering, and he cares about you. He doesn't want it to crush you. He wants something more for you. He wants you to be able to have suffering be a helpful tool. He wants suffering to be able to draw you to him, which is why he says, come to me, draw near to me, consider me. And why he says to do that with his people. God cares about you. So let's pray, and uh, then we will take communion and respond and confession and, and rejoicing as we sing. Father, thank you. I know that there are hearts in here that, are struggling mightily. I know that um, some of us, maybe right now, suffering isn't uh, on the forefront of our mind. Maybe difficulty isn't forefront. Maybe this week has been great. But God, I know that for all of us, you want us to know that you are present in the middle of our suffering, that you understand and empathize and sympathize with our suffering since you yourself experienced and want us to know that you can do something about our suffering, that we can receive grace and mercy to help us in time of need. And so God, I pray that even just now as we take communion and we sing songs, that you would allow the truths that we've looked at to become more real in our hearts. And and for those that are suffering, that they would experience you drawing near to them. And where we've grown bitter, or where we've shut ourselves off, or where we have missed out on the present, Lord, help us to bring those things to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray.